Okay, so let's pray. We're going to start in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, uh, the first couple of verses. I have a bunch of tabs here, but I think I'm still going to have to track them down. I did not put all the Bible verses behind me today. We're going to do it old school. And we'll take, we'll slow down to give you guys time to find them in the Bible. So Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 through 14, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do uh, thank you, God, that you are you. We thank you that you are the creator, sustainer of the universe. We thank you um, for these lives that you have given us. We thank you for the creation that you have placed us in. And Father, we thank you for your nature of being good and loving and true and persistent and stable, Lord. We thank you uh, that through Christ we can call you Father. Uh, We thank you that regardless of the parents that we had in this life, uh, that we have a good Father in you as we sing sometimes. And so, Father, as we uh, take this day to, to focus on uh, the two ordinances that have been left for the church, uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Father, I pray that you would give us clarity of understanding. Lord, help us to know what it is to have a relationship with you. Lord, help us to understand who we are and what we are apart from Christ. Help us to understand uh, the, the the severity of um, our sin before you and that may we understand your holiness. And so, Father, we thank you for these two ordinances that you have left the church as, as symbols, as pictures to, uh, that, that force us to look back at who we are, who we were apart from Christ. Uh, they also help us look forward to the hope that we have in Christ and that these two uh, things, looking back and looking forward, uh, should affect our here and now. And so, Father, I pray that you would draw us into a deeper relationship with you. May we have deeper clarity of who you are. And Lord, may our lives be truly transformed by your spirit. And may we honor you with our lives. And it's in Christ's good name, I pray. Amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him, that's Jesus, you also... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen. And Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, help us uh, to understand these verses that we're about to look at. I pray that you would help us to to understand what was said in context and the significance of each passage. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay. My my aim is to go a little bit shorter today, but when a pastor says that, it means nothing, just as a disclaimer. Um, Just want you to know my heart is, uh, it should, between this and the baptism, we should be in the same uh, timeline. And if not, then I'm sorry about that. not really, though. Uh, we are going to cover the... Uh, it just sounds nice when I say that. Um, so we look at Ephesians 1.13. This is sort of where we launched a few months ago in, in the, uh, this letter of Ephesians, this, this letter that Paul wrote from prison uh, to this 
this church or this group of churches in this region uh, that he'd spent during his life the most amount of time raising up disciples, equipping uh, pastors in the church to do really the work of the ministry. And as he found himself in prison, God used that time uh, for him to pen four letters. And so he wrote these letters. This one is to the church in in Ephesus, and that's modern-day Turkey, but there was a handful of churches. It was designed to sort of be a circular letter that they would pass around, they would copy it, and then they would pass it on to the next church, and they would all learn and grow from it. This this letter contains so much. The first three chapters, a lot of doctrine. The last three chapters, a lot of application. And so right here in the beginning, uh, Paul says that in Christ, you, the listener, he knew that he was writing to believers. Um, you, uh, uh, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so he sort of describes uh, to them uh, the whole transaction of salvation, that apart from Christ, they were dead in their sins and transgressions, which he will get to in chapter 2. Uh, but at some point in their life, they received the message that they, they heard the message of the gospel. They were confronted with it. They processed it. It was probably a journey for some, for most of us. I think it's a journey uh, of where we take some time sort of grappling with who we are, looking at the evidence. Is, is there a creator? Is there not a creator? Do the claims of the Bible uh, stand up to, to pushing back? And then we're confronted with our sin, and what do we do with our sin? And I don't know about you, but I know for, for me, this, this was a, a journey of some 22 years. And then around 22 years of age for myself is when my sin became so overwhelming to me that I knew I had a problem, and I began to sort of investigate Christianity seriously. And God ultimately brought me to my knees through a bunch of my own folly, um, to where I cried out for him and gave my life to him. And then it was didn't mean that everything went perfect right after that. It was a, a journey. And so here Paul sort of lays out, he brings up this word, the gospel. And so it's important for us, while you probably know this, and it's probably redundant, but in the course of today, in light of what we're, we're taking, everything is leading up to the Lord's Supper and to communion. I mean, to Lord's Supper, too. I just, um, it's been a long week. Um, my back is still bothering me from being a hungry hippo. Uh, I had some very, I had some very unkind pushers. Um, not to call Jeremiah out, but, you know, I was more like a Coke can that got squished than a hungry hippo. Um, but so the Lord's Supper and baptism, these two pictures that really are, are, are symbols of, of the gospel. And so then the, the question is, is like, what is the gospel? And so if we hop over to 1 Corinthians 15, you can, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Uh, I want to hear pages flipping over and going to the place, but I, with apps now, maybe there's not as much. It would be nice if apps had page turning sounds that you could like make it sound like you're turning and not on Facebook or whatever. So, um, but whatever, it's okay. Um, so over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is about to talk about sort of the resurrection. Paul is a man who is totally transformed by the resurrection of Christ. This is a man who was a, a, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee. He was, he was heading down their ranks of becoming sort of the, the high priest, likely. And God got a hold of this apostle, this soon-to-be, or who we know as an apostle. 
He was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians. He was going after this claim that Jesus was a Messiah. And then he met Jesus and everything changed. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talks about this sort of this, this idea of the gospel, like what is the gospel? And in verses three and four, the gospel is de- defined for us in the most uh, concise way. In verse one, we read, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which you also stand, by which you are saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins. Point number one of the gospel, Jesus died for our sins. According to the scriptures, this was foretold long before the birth of Christ. The very first promise that we see of the coming Messiah is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where the Messiah is promised uh, in very... uh, sheltered sort of verbiage. But as we see the story unfold, we see, ah, right there he was promised. So Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, verse 4, and he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul understands that dead people don't rise from the grave. This is not something, this isn't like there was something different with ancient people. Dead people were dead. They understood death. They lived under the Romans who were executioners of the the finest scale. So when somebody was dead, they knew they were dead. Paul understood clearly that Jesus had died until he encountered him on the road to Damascus. But then Paul, at the time of his writing here in 1 Corinthians, verses uh, 5 through about 10, he's going to list all of the people, sort of from a courtroom scene, he's bringing these people to the stand He's saying, if you don't believe me, because it's reasonable to understand that people don't rise from the dead. When people are dead, they're dead. I don't even, like, when I read stories of people who are, you know, there's all of these books, I think, I'm skeptimistic. I'm skeptical and I'm a pessimist. I I coined the word skeptimistic or skeptimist. So I'm a little bit of each. So when I read books about like, oh, so-and-so died, they went to heaven, they came back, I'm like, oh, they didn't die. They just like had a, they ate a burrito and they thought they did and they did this stuff. And I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I'm just telling you where I come from, I'm not a guy that like buys into this. If they declared you dead and you came back, you weren't really dead because dead people are dead. Amen? Like that's like, and, and Paul held that same view. But Jesus isn't any other guy. He conquered death. And he says, Verse 5, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12. He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. He says, males, brethren, because men were the only ones who were allowed to testify in a court of law. So more than 500 people. There were females too who also saw him, but Paul doesn't list them there because he's making this legal case. He's saying, at the time of my writing, you can go out today and you can go interview all the people that you want. And I believe that's what Luke probably did in his writing. Like he interviewed these people and got firsthand testimony of all of these people who said, I saw the risen Christ. And these people would go to their deaths testifying that this Jesus who was killed was raised, and they saw him, they touched him. It was absolutely that he was dead and that he was raised. There was, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, Jesus raised from the dead. And then Paul goes through his list, and he said, of all of these people, I also saw him. I'm the least of these. I'm not fit to be called an apostle. I am the worst of all Christians. I'm the worst of all sinners. 
because he was a man who was persecuting this church that he would become sort of the father of this, uh, that God would use him in this way to sort of lead and develop the church. Like the books that we have about how churches run and operate, they come from God through the hands of Paul. And so back to Ephesians chapter 1. And so in this small section, Paul writes in Jesus, you, the readers, you who are listening now who, who call yourself Christian, he looks back and he makes us look back in our own lives. And he says, you, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. There's no such thing as being born a Christian. Happy reunion, mom. I think it's a surprise. So I'm sorry, her, her boys, <laughs> we have to interrupt. I can't let this go. Her boys, active duty military. So we're very grateful for that. He flew in from Hawaii to surprise his mom. Uh, I knew and dad knew, but she didn't know. So we got to like, I can't like let her not have her moment with her baby. You know, <laughs> he probably just wants to sit down. I think of Jesus with Mary, like woman, get off of me. It's like, okay. Like I like, you know, it's like, a, but mom's got to have her moment with her baby. It's a surprise for everybody. Really special. <laughs> so, so we're in the book of Ephesians. <laughs> um, okay. Where are we? Okay. You weren't born Christian. You might have been born into a Christian home. You, you might have heard the gospel message. Like it goes, you, there's no recollection in your memory of there not being a Christian testimony in your family. You walked with Christians. You lived with Christians in an in a ideal world. This was not my story. My prayers, this is the story for my children, that they were just like, they're born to a pastor and a pastor's wife and a and a mom who also was a pastor's kid. And so, but you're not born a Christian. You, you might, from a very early age, have heard the gospel over and over and over and over again. And, I, and in some ways, I think sometimes the gospel message is harder to hear for those who are raised in the church because it's just like, it becomes sort of noise. But for each of us, we were born, you were a born a sinner. You might be a sinner that looks really good and you know all the Christian language and you know all the Christian talk and you know all the things that you're supposed to do or not do in order to maintain the image of what a good Christian person looks like, but you're still a wretch before God. And for those of us in my camp that were not raised in a Christian home and we went the way of the world, we were still a wretch. It just looks different. But before God, we're sinners condemned before him. And however you heard the story, in order to move from unsaved to saved, not sinner to not sinner, from saved sinner, unsaved sinner to saved sinner, you heard the gospel that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He was buried. He rose again. And all that is required for you to get right with God is to believe. And in that moment of belief, you're sealed by the Spirit is what we're told here. He says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. At that moment of belief, you were sealed, or you could say baptized by the Spirit of God, which means that the Spirit of God takes residence within your body. Don't ask me to explain. Like It's, un- it's like unconceivable. It's mind-boggling. But the Word of God tells me, 
that at the moment of belief, the Spirit of God enters me and things begin to change. Namely, in my own life, over the course of like, well, if this was 22 and I'm 48 now, it's like I'm, there's been a lot of years where this war still happens within me. Now I have like these two roommates that hate each other within me. And there's this war that's raging. Suddenly the things that I used to do before I gave my life to Christ, my conscience didn't really bother me. Then it was like these things that I would do, then I would be so just riddled with shame and guilt and remorse. And it wasn't God condemning me. It was his, his hand of conviction to lead me on the path. Two very different things. So having believed, you were sealed in him but with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge, a down payment of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So in this one verse, we get this sort of the, the, the picture of Christianity. In this moment, what he does is from our, from our present perspective, wherever you are, whether you uh, have been a Christian for one week or you've been a Christian for 80 years, what I see in this passage is for all of us, God wants us to look back at our old life before him, remember what Christ did for us because apart from him, we're nothing. And then, I don't know how much we linger there, but then there's this looking forward to what is coming in Christ. This world might look like it's a total mess. You're, you, you might have all sorts of sufferings. We just sang this song that brings us to tears. It's a super powerful song written by a man who had everything taken away from him. And in that having everything taken away from him, he realized and recognized that in Christ, he had everything that he needed. And so the church, through the New Testament, we see that the church was left with these two ordinances. If you were raised Catholic like me, you might accidentally refer to these as sacraments. A sacrament and an ordinance are two very different things. Uh, The Catholic Church has seven sacraments. I'm not here to teach about Catholicism, but I recognize that so many of us uh, who find ourselves in the church have this background with Catholicism. And the seven sacraments, sacraments are, are, are a means to maintain your grace. So they become sort of these agents, how you stay right with God. Where an ordinance is totally and completely different. It's a symbol. It's symbolic of actions that previously happened, which cause us to, to look backwards and to look forwards. We do it both with baptism and both... Uh, with the Lord's Supper. And so as we look at our first part, baptism, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. At the very end of Matthew, all the four Gospels are are different in their own means. They have different target audiences. Matthew is really known as sort of the one that, that leaves us with this, this great, great commission, this, this charge to the church to go and share the gospel to the world, locally and globally, that as you go, the gospel is being shared. And so the, the apostle Matthew sort of ends his story in verse 16. And we read here, but the 11 disciples, disciples proceeded to Galilee, that's in the northern part of Israel, to the mountain which Jesus designated. We have no idea what mountain this is. When they saw him, they worshiped him, 
but some were doubtful. Rising from the dead is a very difficult thing. Like if you went to a funeral of a loved one and you put them in the ground and they were there for three days, and then you know a couple weeks goes by, a month goes by, six months goes by, it's a little, I would imagine, it's never happened to me, but I would imagine it'd be very like hard for your brain to like wrap around the things that are happening. So those that were doubtful, I kind of identify with them. And Jesus came up and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So in this very long sentence, there's one verb, and the verb is to make disciples. Connected to this verb of making disciples, making disciples is teaching and equipping people to walk with Jesus as the Bible instructs. And so within this uh, walking with Jesus, the making disciples, one of the things that's mentioned is baptism. Making disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. So he gives us this command. He ascends into heaven. And then the, the church is sort of waiting. Like they're, they're, they're in this sort of like holding pattern about like what to do. Um, then in Acts chapter 2, you can turn there. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, trying to talk and go through my Bible where the books of the Bible are were too challenging. So in Acts chapter 2, they're waiting, not really knowing what's going on to kill the time. They replace the one apostle who turned on Jesus. Then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God descends on them. They're baptized. Something new happens in the church. And Peter stands up and he proclaims, the first sermon sort of recorded for the church. So the church is established in Acts chapter 2. By the end of his sermon, starting in verse 36, and where am I going to? Um, Verse 36 down to verse 47. At the very end of his sermon, this is where we're picking up. Therefore, let the house of Israel know that for certain God made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ, This Jesus whom you crucified. It's like, uh uh-oh. You mean the Messiah that we've been waiting for since Genesis chapter 3, we killed him? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brethren, what, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children to follow all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, I love that. That's a pastor's disclaimer right there. He was done, but then with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them and saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So those who had received the word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to breaking of bread and prayer. And so you see this sort of like the church is established. There are people who are apart from God. It's sort of this transitional window or period 
in the story of the Bible. We're moving from, from one era of how God interacted with man to this, this new era. And it's like the pages from the Old Testament to the New Testament are transitioning sort of like in this moment. While we consider, uh, you know, Acts a part of the New Testament, we consider Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all parts of the New Testament. The reality is, is all of these books up until this moment, life was life under the Old Testament. And now life is changing because of what Christ has done. And so they're confronted with the gospel. They hear the gospel. They respond in belief. The first thing they do is they're baptized. Moving the story along to Acts chapter 8. So turn your page over to Acts chapter 8. Over in Acts chapter 8, verse uh, 29, there's this cool little story. Uh, Things in the church are begin, beginning to like be scattered. Persecution is coming up over the early church. It's causing the church to spread um, out of Jerusalem and to the outermost parts of the region. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 29, we're introduced uh, to this, this eunuch. Um, so verse 29, then the Spirit said to Philip, one of the disciples, go up and join this chariot. And so Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you believe and understand what you're reading? Okay, so we just kind of entered the story. Uh, Philip is there, and there's this chariot going. There, the chariot is leaving Jerusalem. We'll see that it's, it's, it's clearly like a, a person who's connected to money because they actually have um, a part of the, the, the biblical text of Isaiah with them. Isaiah runs up. I don't know if the guy stopped or if he's like running along the side saying, do you understand what you're reading? Like, what's going on here? Let me help you. And so he said, uh, this is a eunuch, uh, so likely, so like an employee of somebody that was very wealthy, has a little book of Isaiah, and he said to him, well, how could I, unless somebody guides me? And, in, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture, which he was reading, was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And so they're going along. Philip presents the gospel to him. He hears the gospel. He responds to the gospel in belief. And then he sees water and says, what's stopping me from getting baptized? So like on the baptism point of the section, before we move on to the Lord's Supper, and we'll wrap back around to the baptism, some, some, some points. Often, I'm asked, normally by like older, uh, I'm not talking age, like people who are a part of like older church, like traditional church, um, where people like walk the aisle every single Sunday. I'm often asked, hey, Gunnar, why don't you do that? And it's like, well, like we're a small church. I like know most of the people, like I know their story. And then people come to talk to me in my office and we can kind of handle stuff like that, like that way. And then when I, the, the main reason, and I'm not necessarily opposed, I want to be careful. Um, 
when I read through the New Testament, the walking the aisle that I see is baptism. Like, like baptism is this, is this thing that, that individuals are called to do. That, that if you've received Jesus as your Savior, if you've believed, the next step is to stand up among people and say, I identify with him. And I'm following him into, into baptism and obedience. And, and, and I really see this as like the call in the New Testament for walking the aisle sort of thing. And so it's a super important thing to make this public declaration. Uh, being a Christian is not a lone ranger game. It's, it's really, you're being brought into a family. You're really kind of even being brought into an army to, to do uh, the work of God in this world. And so the second thing that I see about baptism throughout the New Testament, we don't have time to go over every single thing, uh, but one of the, the markers that I see is it goes from belief to baptism. And so we adhere to a believer's baptism in this church, uh, namely because I'm the one doing them, and I like I, my, my conscience won't allow me to do anything else. I shared with you that I was already, my baptism story, I was, I was raised as a Catholic. I have a picture of me getting baptized or like before or after my baptism. I'm a little baby being held by a priest, and I was told that that's my baptism. And then as life sort of unfolded and I started going to a Protestant church, and there were baptisms. I was like, oh, I'm, a, I'm more advanced than that because I dealt with that back when I was six weeks old, you know, like, and, and God began to really like convict me. And then I was, mo- I was like, kind of like my pride was, my pride was really getting in the way. Um, I, I probably could just end it with that one. Like my, like our pride often gets in the way of what God is asking us to do. And so then I decided, well, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to be baptized as a believer, and what I'm going to do is we're scheduled to go on a night dive as I was, you know, in the military. We were going into San Diego Bay. We were going out on whatever dive it was. And I had my buddy. We're, we're linked together with a little rope. And at like 2 in the morning, I went bloop, bloop. And he's like, what happened? You hit a hole? I'm like, no, no, man, I just baptized myself. We're good. Let's go. And so then that worked for me for a long time until I met Anna. And then... It, <laughs> And then Anna started really busting my chops trying to say, Gunner, this is like, she didn't say you're an idiot, like, but that's kind of like what it, she's like, you're kind of like, you can't rewrite what God has asked you to do. And I'm like, I did, it's, per- it's good. And so then I was really grappling with this whole thing and I decided to run a marathon in Denver, the Jesus Run Marathon. And, and it, it, don't run your first marathon in Denver, that was a bad step that I made. And so then I'm like, running this marathon in Denver, getting super, super convicted, like, I need to do this the right way. And so, like, mile 20, I had low blood sugar. I laid down at some lady's yard, and some guy walks by. He had a little, like, after-dinner mint. He gave it to me. I pepped right up. And I was like, hi. Well, thanks for the mint. I feel a lot better. Let's let's go finish the last six miles. What's your name? He's like, ah, my name's Buddy. And I'm like, really? I'm like, nice to meet you, bud. He's like, well, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a Navy SEAL. He's like, I'm a 70-year-old man, and I'm smoking you on the run. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. I was like, uh, and I'm like, well, what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, huh, funny thing. I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm really convicted about getting baptized. Like, I told him the whole story, and then he's like, there's water at the end, and we can take care of this. And so then I ended up in front of a big crowd getting baptized, and a really special moment. And so it's a, it's a symbol. It's a picture that we do. 
uh, that demonstrates what's already happened in our lives. Baptism doesn't save us. It, it, we say it's a symbol, but it's, I think it's far more than just a symbol because it's a symbol of what happened, which is pretty significant. Um, I often use the wedding ring that, like, I'm not going to do it because my hand, they don't come, it doesn't come off that easily. It's welded on there. And, uh, but it's like, like to say my wedding ring is like, is just a symbol and I take it off, I'm still married. And if I put it on, I'm still married. It's pretty significant because of what it symbolizes. And it's this, this, not only just a symbol of what happened within me, it, it's also this like first step of obedience, of saying, okay, Lord, this seems really silly. Like, you're asking me to, like, baptism is really, like, a very weird thing, in my opinion. Just, like, as a guy who professionally drowned people for a lot of years, like, it's, like, so all, like, it's just a down and an up. Like, can't we take them till they pass out and then bring them up? Like, it's not, like, <laughs> like, really see some commitment? And, uh, but it's, like, you go down and you go up, and it's just this, it's, it's it, but it's so significant because you're submitting yourself to the will of God, and you're saying, you know, I'm doing this to follow you. And then the next thing He asks you to do, it becomes easier to do. Okay, let's go on to communion. I got like six minutes to do this. That's fine. Um, so let's go to Luke chapter twenty-two. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. So the night in which Jesus was betrayed, they took this meal, the Passover meal. Um, It was something that wasn't done all the time. So Luke chapter 22, verse 14. I I think that it was more than just like uh, this like annual thing for the Passover. I, I truly believe that the people who were here in this moment and then they they went through the Passover meal. Then they then they go from that moment to Jesus being arrested, to his whole uh, being beaten, and then crucified, and then buried. I think every time that like bread broke or wine was poured, there would be like almost like a traumatic response within them to take them back to that moment. And I think that's what God wanted in this moment. That I didn't I didn't have the courage to go far enough to do communion with donuts, but it's like. When you get your donut and you break a piece off, like in your mind, I think, Jesus, I am the bread of life, and his body was broken for us. Like anytime you have bread or cracker, it's just like God created us to need food. He could have made us not to need food. And so he made us with hunger and the desire to eat, I think, so that when he came to earth and he said, I am the bread of life, that every time that we're hungry, we should sort of recognize that we actually are hungry for something more than the food that we're about to eat. We're hungrier for the God who created us, and that's where the only satisfaction will come. But so we find ourselves at the Passover time. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. I'm sorry, I have too much with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves. For I say to you that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread 
and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So he initiates what we know as the Lord's Supper. If you fast forward with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, by the time we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in this section we, we see the church is up and running, and it's the section that sort of gives the greatest sort of commentary about the Lord's Supper that we participate in as often as we do it. And so over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 23 through 33, I always start sort of a little bit into it, verse 27, and we read there, therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So the first part about communion, there's, there's basically three parts. The first part about Lord's Supper is the first thing that we do. It's this time when we are confronted with the gospel, the symbol of the gospel that Jesus' body was given for us, that he went to the cross, our sin was placed on him, the sin of the world, he absorbed it all. And, and as Christians... It doesn't mean that we're sinless. We're saved sinners. Your sin might look different today than it looked when you first came to Christ, but we still have this sort of like our flesh within us and there are struggles and it's this time for us to pause and to confess our sin before God and to to share with him areas of our life that we're struggling in, areas in our life that we can't seem to get victory in, habits that we can't seem to break, and we lay it before him. And 1 John 1, 9 tells us that as we do this, he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. It's this time of, of restoration between us and the Lord. And so Bud's going to have the team come forward. Um, they're going to pass out the elements to us. Just hold on to the elements. And then we'll, co- we'll cover the last two pieces and then take communion. And then we'll look at the last little bit before communion. I mean, before baptism. Father, as we reflect on areas that we have missed the mark, Lord, areas that we come short, areas that we just kind of feel uh, trapped in, Lord, Father, we lay these things before you. Um, Lord, I thank you that um, that our relationship with you is based on grace. Um, this th- This sort of relationship is hard for me, to fathom, Lord, it's, it seems like it would be easier to have a works-based system where when we did good, our relationship with you increased, and when we did bad, our, our relationship with you decreased. And, but I thank you, God, that, um, that your word tells us that our relationship 
with you isn't based on what we can do, for there is nothing that we can do. And we thank you that um, you show us our sin, you convict us of our sin, you lead us to the cross, you remind us of forgiveness, and you cleanse us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to truly uh, receive your forgiveness, Lord, for those that are here that may or may not have responded uh, to the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would help them to, to move them into a relationship where they are, are, are saved, Lord, that they have a relationship with you. For those of us that are saved, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be drawn into a, just a greater sense of obedience with you. I pray that you would help us to, to crucify our flesh day by day and that we would walk with you in obedience. Lord, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you just are a God of, of constant renewal and, and constant do-overs. Um, we love you, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. All right, so the other two things, um, going back to verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night which he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. So the cracker that we hold in our hand is a symbol of the broken body of Christ. Not that there were any bones broken, but the the wrath that he endured physically uh, to absorb uh, the weight of our sin. It's a picture to remind us of what he did. It's It's not a mirror for us to see our face and go, oh, look what I did to save myself. It's a picture of his broken body to remind us that he did for us what we simply cannot do on our own. And we're to do it in remembrance of him. He continues in the same way. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we do this as a remembrance, but we're also given a challenge in this, that as often as we do this, whether it's day by day or week by week or month by month or sort of whenever, how we kind of do it here, when we do this, we're reminded that we've been given the Great Commission as a church. And that we are instructed that as we do this, we have a responsibility to go to the world and to share Christ with them. And so with that, let's take communion and we'll we'll close up. Okay, so we're going to transition out to, 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 to the baptismal site. We have an upgrade that's probably a downgrade that I'm like way too excited about. We've gone to a horse trough and uh, real Valley Center. Like I'm like stoked about it. Um, we've, all, we've had a good relationship with our uh, church in town. It was always like a hassle to get the thing set up. It was really nice. And so we wanted to do a baptism and there was always like, it was like a month or two process 
Now we're just 20 minutes out at all times. So um, like five minutes to get it there and 15 minutes to fill it up. Um, so we have one person that I know of so far that's getting baptized. I do want to say that if you find yourself like that eunuch saying, here's water, like what's stopping me? Like for me, there was a whole bunch stopping me, and it was simply my pride. I had all of these reasons of, of why I thought I was good and that my plan was better than God, and it wasn't. And so if you're here today and you like want to, like you are feeling convicted, like you have come to Christ, you have believed in him, but you have not taken the step of obedience, I don't want it to be me standing in the way of you and God. Uh, we got a little pool of water here. I won't drown you as much as I'd like to just for fun. You know, like somebody days, like, it looks like a coffin. I'm like, isn't that perfect? Like, that's just like the, um, so, but Joshua Arnold is getting baptized. Is he, is he there or is he? He's, he's running to change. Good. I can talk about him when he's not here. Um, so, so last year his sister got, was it last year or two years ago? Two years ago, his sister got baptized. His younger sister got baptized. And he was like, I'm just not ready. I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to get baptized. And then this year, he wanted to get baptized. And so sitting down with him this week, I was like, hey, so like, I feel really comfortable doing this, but like, what, what, what changed? And he's like, he's like, it's just time. He's like, I've trusted in Christ. I believe I need to do this. He's like, I just, I didn't want to stand up in front of everybody. And I'm like, you catch the irony, don't you, bud? Like, you're the only one getting baptized this year. <laughs> like, which I think sometimes is how God works, you know? Um, and so I'm really, like, excited uh, for Joshua. So what we'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll pray. Uh, we can slowly make our way out there. Like, there's time he's changing. I'm going to drop off the microphone. It's, like, right outside the door. There's no fire alarm there, so you can actually, like, open the door. There's a rock. I'll put... But Andrew's our special guest here since he's there. Right outside the door, there's a rock. So prop it, put a rock or something, just like an MRE, and then um, <laughs> and then we'll make our way there. Or you can go around the back. We're going to let the kids, if you have parents, if you're a parent and your kids are in Sunday school, you can grab them and bring them out there. Um, and then we'll we'll have the baptism out there. And then we have donuts and Nine Square and Gaga Gaga Ball, like everything. It'll be a, a fun after a fun time. So let's let's pray. Uh, Father, we do again just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for this time uh, that we have together, Lord, just to to pause and to think about these two ordinances. Father, I pray for each one of us, wherever we find ourselves in our relationship with you, I pray, Father, that you would um, draw us deeper into our relationship with you. Lord, help us to see you for who you are, Help us to experience that that koinonia fellowship, this intimacy with you. Uh, for we long for you, Lord, and we desire you. We we want to be obedient to you in all things, but our our flesh so often is so strong and and uh, holds us back. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us just to live our lives uh, fully and completely devoted to you. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.